You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. So we're back. We are back, but baby. Like, I say that. Like, yes, we did. We had a. We had a. We had an episode off. I was feeling a little, little sicky poo. We had some technical difficulties. Some technical difficulties. Um, but we did <laughs> drop two bonus episodes, so I do not feel bad <laughs> for my absence. There was content. Yeah, there was content. And it wasn't just me coughing up a lung into the microphone. Which I think was preferable yeah. for our listeners. I was just, I think I like blew my nose every five minutes for a full 48 hours. That is entirely possible. I, I, I trust your judgment as you were here. <laughs> um, I'm amazed you didn't get sick. But hey, I lived. Yeah. Thank God. I wasn't like that sick. It's just I have not been sick since the pandemic started because I wear a mask everywhere and wash my hands and I'm vaccinated. Yes. I'm vaccinated. Having gone through my first illness since the pandemic, um, I empathize with where you were at. It's like I had the man flu. Like I could exactly. tell that it wasn't that bad, but I was like, me poor baby. I haven't felt this in so long. Meany fuzzy blanket. Also, it was hot out and it's so much grosser to be sick when it's hot out. Because you want a fuzzy blanket. Yeah. But it's too hot. Yeah. It's, it's been so humid here too. Just absolute swampland. Yeah. Gross. Too much rain. Yeah. Which I normally don't say because I love a good rainy week. But the rain is not bringing any relief. Like, it just stays humid. Mm-hmm. And, at, like, absolutely. I thought my hair looked so good on my way to work <laughs> this morning. And then I was waiting for the pl- for the train. And on the platform, it was just, like, misting. And I was like, great. I, I shouldn't have. I It was hubris to think that. I did, like, wash my hair today. And I put in all the products at Sundry. And then I stepped outside for my walk. And I was like. Mm, why did I do that why did I do that yeah it was so much effort for nothing I also didn't I I I always feel the need when I get off the train I was like I'm like I gotta wash my hair it's like when Mm -hmm. you get off an airplane you're like if I don't wash my (laughs) hair right now but here's the thing I got over it I didn't look that bad. I'm no longer sick. And we are back here with the Teen Wolf Rio podcast, a podcast where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. I'm Julia. And we are still talking about season 6B. I say as if it's not the last season, we will be talking about Teen Wolf until the movie. Yeah. Oh, the movie. The movie. Yeah. We are six episodes. From the end. From the end of Teen Wolf. Of, of the podcast. Plus our series wrap up, which I'm assuming will be have to be a separate yeah. episode. Yeah. Because we have a lot of thoughts. It could be a separate <laughs> season, honestly. Um, but yeah, so we are going to be talking about season 6B, episode 4. It is called Face to Faceless, and it was directed by... Lyndon Ashby. <gasps> oh, yeah. I actually like the directing in this episode, especially in the Liam stuff. Yeah, and I mean, I liked all the stuff with the Anukate and Parrish, and mm-hmm. yeah, I liked it. Uh, it was written by Will Wallace, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. And... Hi. And currently working on, on the movie. movie. Yeah, Teen Wolf movie writer Will Wallace. Hello, Will. Um, yeah, we... It was interesting to take a break to come back. Not that our break was particularly long, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, to jump back in. I say as if we didn't used to only podcast once a week. Like, this would have been know. part of the course in season four. Yeah, but like, once you get into the rhythm yeah, of it, I'm it's like... go time. It's been so long. Yes. Yeah. Um... So, I think we have a lot to say. That we do. I'm feeling good. You're feeling good. We have to do a 60 second recap. And uh, I'm going first? No. Uh, Uh, Yeah? I'm going first. Are you? I thought 
Do you want to go first? No, I think I'm going first. Oh, no, you're going first. Yeah. Okay. Oh, thank God. I just did the math in my head, and I was like, oh. We we did talk about this. We did. On the couch. Um, We're now at the table, though. So, so we've moved. So very my brain different. is super all over the place. Yeah. Um. So you're going to be going first. Uh, are you feeling ready? Are you feeling prepared? Are you hungry are you thirsty are you cold I'm feeling like I'm looking at the first sentence of this and realizing how much happened in this episode because I don't remember this happening ah interesting we'll see yes um we will see on your mark get set go okay so Aaron goes to the hospital and vomits up all the spiders onto the new katan it wakes up a werewolf girl is attacked by a bunch of men and she fights them off but a deputy shows up and shoots her Scott is trying to get Liam to go to school but he's like oh no um I can't and Scott's like you're Clark Kent everybody at school is really on edge because uh, some of the lacrosse players saw Liam changing and Brett and Lori dying the big pack is like talking to Chris and they're like we need to plan a peace summit with lacrosse with lacrosse with Chris because mm, with Gerard because it's a war the lacrosse team is uh, voting Liam out as captain and he gives it up when uh, the coach gets there so he doesn't start to fight Gerard uh, says that he won't talk to Scott Liam figures out that Monroe is actually the one who is uh, the new hunter because she tries to get the names of the kids harassing them and he notices like a scratches on her neck and the supernatural stuff Chris tells Melissa that everybody needs to leave because Gerard wants genocide and she's like I'm not going to tell them to do that Scott tells Chris about Monroe and he's like I have an upper hand here um, Paris is looking at pictures of Holman and like has a panic and he thinks that he sees the Anukate Lydia calls Monroe to the principal's office to ask for a peace summit and Malia doesn't want Scott to meet with her um, um, oh, I think you got pretty far. I felt really confident. Uh, you were sailing. You got really deep into the episode. I was impressed. Um, I just read the word lacrosse so many times that it got a little confusing. Well, it was when you were like, lacrosse, no, Chris, no, Gerard. I was like, mm, oh, yeah, the gears are turning, but they're a little stuck. Um, yeah, I was just, uh, I messed it up. But um, I have confidence in you, especially because you, you got notes over there that you made it all onto one page so but we know that's not <laughs> impressive for me and also I was as I was writing I turned to you and I was like my handwriting is worse than usual today <laughs> all right well I we'll actually see I think my handwriting is beautiful mm-hmm. I think it's stylistic I think it's a font I just think yeah. it's illegible <laughs> I just think it is papyrus Ow! <laughs> I actually um loved papyrus like as a font as a child because I didn't want to use anything like Times New Roman related. So from me, a compliment, but that is what it kind of reminds me of. My favorite font is Georgia. It always has been. And I'm interested to know the favorite font of the Wolfpack. All right. Well, um, while Christian recaps, the Wolfpack can ruminate on that. So are you ready? Yes. Okay. You have a minute starting right now. So Aaron uh, goes and pukes all these spiders onto the Inukite and wakes it up. And then um, the these hunters target this werewolf girl and the police shows up and shoot her. And then Scott tries to get Liam out of bed because he's like, you have to go do your job and like be a superhero at school. You cannot worry about these people. And then uh, Scott tells Chris about Gerard and then Chris says that they need to have a peace summit. And the last team tells Liam that he's off the team instead of fighting. He just tells Coach that he left willingly. Chris asks Gerard for like a parlay and he's like, absolutely not. I am believing it. I This is a genocide. And then Corey tells Liam that the whole school is going to try to out him. And then Liam is like trying to hide um and then and he tries to hide in Monroe's office and then realizes that she's the new hunter Parrish has a panic Parrish has a panic attack at the police station because he is like hallucinating and he thinks the Nukate is there and the sheriff has to stop him from like shooting a wall um uh, Malia tries to get Scott to not no Lydia calls Monroe it Lydia calls Monroe to the principal's office and tries to get her to like do a parlay and then uh Malia's like Scott you can't go and Chris is like yeah don't go because my dad wants genocide to happen and then we got to, like, the same place. We did, yeah. Okay. So. 
Gonna finish Here, it up. Here's what you missed on Glee. <laughs> um, Liam gets cornered by all of the lacrosse players in school, and they kick the living daylights out of him to try to get him to turn into a werewolf so Sad. that they have a reason to hunt him. Liam does everything in his power to not shift. But also, even the bio teacher, who we didn't hate all that much, we now hate because she's like, I don't know, I think this needs to play out in the end. And in the end, coach eventually saves Liam, and Mason and Corey are able to take him out of the school. Uh, Scott goes to meet with Monroe, thinking that she is like somebody who can be saved only to have Gerard also show up and be like what do you mean she's like the leader of this operation I'm just here as like guidance (laughs) and they bring a bunch of other hunters and Malia and Lydia show up and they're like we're literally not here to fight but the Anukte shows up and the other hunters go cuckoo banana bread and Monroe tells Scott that she was there on the bus when the beast killed all those people and that's why she knows that like the werewolves were just biding their time. They didn't do anything to help us and her da 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 and like other bullshit garbage fans. He was busy. <laughs> also, uh, completely non-investigated in season five. We'll get there. Um, eventually, Parrish like explodes the faceless body of the Anukte and it ends the fights he fights. Um, and they're like, that's crazy. This is clearly a thing that is infecting people. And Lydia even is like, it's here. It's doing this. They go back to the McCall house and the werewolf girl from the beginning is like, uh, are you Scott McCall? Because a police officer did this to me and they realize that, oh shit, literally everyone in the town who isn't supernatural is no longer on their side. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Yeah. There are six episodes left of this season. So I, I mean, like tension wise, I think we're in a good spot. Yeah. Um, We're not waiting to pack it all in to like the very end. We haven't heard the name of the villain yet. No, we're just calling it that because that's we know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to be talking about this episode through the theme of rejection. Um, fundamentally, it is a rejection of both like values of people, social norms, social norms. It's it, I think a really interesting. I say interesting in the way that I think it's going to lead us into interesting conversation. I don't necessarily know if this season is set up to execute any of these concepts particularly intelligently, which I think you agree with. And I want to like, I want to say like, I have mentioned before, like, I think that Will has like produced some really successful moments in his episodes and there's episodes in this moment that I find really successful, but the structure of this season did not let this episode be particularly accomplished and i think we have been kind of leading up to our gripes with the structure of this season um and i think this is one of the episodes where it really starts to show the flaws Mm -hmm. um so i think that's what we're gonna have to talk about yes yeah who who would you like to talk about uh first with our theme of rejection let's talk about the big pack they're actually a smaller Mm -hmm. part of this episode um they are which is like but Lydia was such a big part of the last season. Where is she? I want her on every uh, every scene. Well, I loved seeing her in the principal's office, but yes, she could have had more to do. I loved seeing her in general because Holland Roden looked beautiful in this episode. And yeah. she was in like this blue sort of like mid-necked tank top and these jeans. With a lace back. Yeah. Very sexy. Yeah. Looks Hair great. down. She looked great. Mm-hmm. Holland Roden is obviously beautiful, but like there are days when costuming does her better than others. Yeah, it's it's cool. I especially with Lydia's costuming, I think she's one of the only characters who really like grows up through her clothes. Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I love seeing that. 
Well, I think part of that is because men's fashion is so boring and, and very static. Change, yeah. Whereas she is the only female character we've had from episode one to now. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a bummer. But we did see a little bit of like the the stylistic change from like mm-hmm. from Malia. 2011 to 2014 with Allison. I think is and, the biggest jump. That's true. And Malia is has it together. Well, she just always has been like, yeah, I wear shorts and boots, which is like mad respect. <laughs> we love it. Yeah. We love to see it. Um, yeah, I want to talk about the big pack. I think what's most interesting to me is that Scott, I think, has not yet been able to internalize the fact that he is being rejected from all angles or conversely thinks that there's a solution to that. Yeah, I um, think that... One of the reasons that Scott is so lovable and has been so successful and the reason that he's a true alpha um, is that he really does believe that he is always doing the morally right thing if it's possible. Um, And even when it's not, like, that is always the avenue that he tries first. And I think it is so impossible for him to comprehend that other people cannot see that. And it is almost... Not even like a, a hubris, but it's like a real blind spot. That it feels utterly naive for someone who we already know has had the most experience with hunters as of anybody else on the show. Yeah. Um, particularly after figuring out that Gerard is the one behind it, he really seems to think that like logic is the best move here, even though uh, Chris even says like my father left behind logic a long time ago. I actually don't think that's true. I think Gerard is doing exactly what he thinks is the right thing. Um, but he can't be reasoned with. Yeah. And Scott knows that it kind of feels a little bit like a regression part of issues that we had with him during season five, where he like can't see through to like any other possibilities, but trying to ask for peace. Yeah. Yeah, and I I mean, I think that might be the way that sort of desperation, like, falls on you as you experience rejection. But even at the beginning of the episode, he doesn't seem particularly empathetic with the rejection that Liam is feeling. Um, yeah. It it is, that scene is very odd to me. It's played way too comedically for something that is ultimately like where Scott has to sit down and be like, I know your friends died, but they weren't really my friends, which I hated that moment. That was very weird. It legitimately. Why would he not just be like, I know literally exactly how you feel? <laughs> if not worse. Um, yeah, it was bizarre. It was kind of like, you know, um, how at the beginning of Freaky Friday, like Jamie Lee Curtis is trying to get Lindsay Lohan out of bed. Yeah. That's what it felt like to me. That was which, the tone. Which I think would be fine if it weren't following the death of Liam's friends. Yeah. Dude, all honesty, he would probably just be in bed depressed. We- weeping. He Again, Teen Wolf refuses to acknowledge grief in any particular way. It makes Scott seem really inhuman. Yeah. Um, But I think that's what's interesting is that Scott has a reckoning by the end of this episode where he all of a sudden has to be like, oh shit, this is bad news bears. I have been completely misreading the situation all episode. He really does think that by telling Liam to just like get it together and go to school that it'll all be fine. And this is what I really don't understand about the actions of... uh, 
everybody in this episode, big pack and baby pack alike, is the assumption that they will be able to like reason with it. Or even the rationale between, between, behind Liam going to school is that like if you just show up, eventually the rumors will go away. But they know that they are dealing with something supernatural. So they are dealing with it in like whatever way that they think is normal, even though that shouldn't track. Yeah. For them at all. Yeah. Also, in <laughs> high school, like, I, a rumor got started about me my senior year, and it followed me until I graduated, so. Um, yeah, so that's the, not always a um, good move. Yeah. Um, yeah. Scott also, I think, isn't really used to being rejected. Yeah. He is the one who gets to do the rejecting, because people don't live up to his standards, or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he just can't imagine that people... Am I the drama? Am I the problem? Yeah. Like, well, what I think is interesting is Malia, who has lived life in rejection up until no longer being a coyote and mm-hmm. then some, is so much more realistic about this situation. And Lydia's kind of trying to play a middle ground. Like, Lydia's trying to play the logic game where she's like, well, we can have peace. I, for the record, absolutely hated the optics of watching a white woman lecture a black woman on coexistence. And highlighting our differences you oh my gosh oh my gosh one i think it's incredibly cruel that we have never had a mainstay black character black female character in the show in the wolf pack and then the first time we get somebody who is like that has that kind of screen time it is like a poorly done villain Mm -hmm. is infuriating yeah um, but you know, you see a really interesting counterbalance between Scott and sorry, going back to Scott. Um, <laughs> I have more to say, but like you see a really interesting um balance between Scott and Malia, where they clearly are now interested in each other and worried about each other in the same way. They still aren't quite ready or sure how to establish their feelings, mm-hmm. which of course it would be even if this weren't happening during like a dystopian nightmare. They are still breaking bro code. <laughs> um, neither of them really know how to talk about their feelings to yeah. each other. I mean, like, Scott is, we've said over and over and over that he's really emotionally intelligent, but, like, it, it it's his well, best friend's that, ex-girlfriend. No, no that and, part of his character has waned so much. I, I mean, think the last time we really saw that was season four. That's true. Well, that's, I mean... Yeah, if he were being emotionally intelligent, I think this episode would have played out a lot differently. Um, Character growth, he actually got dumber. Um, But what is interesting to me is that, like, Malia, who we often see as sort of being, like, the quick to judge over, like, sort of overcompensates on her negative feelings, like, just kill him, just whatever, is now the person who you're like, yeah, why the fuck has no one killed Gerard yet? She's right. Why would you go down to those tunnels? You know this is a trap. Scott, like, why aren't you letting this resonate with you? And Lydia says a little bit more in the middle ground, but clearly agrees well, way, way more with Malia and what's happening here. Yeah, because she's right. Like, there's really no way of getting around the fact that she is correct. Yeah. And it is weird to me that Chris doesn't automatically back her up. Yeah. Um, also, Chris, you should have killed your dad. Should have killed his dad. Um, I would have watched a full season of Chris <laughs> deciding to kill his dad. And hunting his dad. Yeah. T- the the hunter has become the hunted. Yeah. I love that shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just think it's interesting how, 
how Scott is supposed to be the leader of this group and is being, and it is so, um, I think, I think he is, I think he is rejecting the sense of rejection. He is choosing so much to not sit with these feelings because he needs to believe that there's an easy way out. And I find that to be, um, perhaps a regression, but it is shown that like, under a cir- under other circumstances, the people in his posse who he aligns himself with and agrees with don't think that he's doing the right thing. Yeah, it's um, I think he really only gets away with it because Styles isn't there. Um, and if Styles were there, that would be even like just kind of an even more glaring um character issue, because part of Styles' whole thing is that Scott doesn't let people be people. Um, it doesn't seem to understand the, like, very real concept of collateral damage, especially when they keep talking about, like, war. Yeah. Which is clearly coming. Um, and Scott is kind of, like, I don't want to say adrift, but he does not have a voice of reason that he listens to yeah. the way that he listens to Styles. I'm feeling Styles' um, absence far more in this season than I did in 6A. Yeah. Or even, like, the tail end of 3B or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, let's move on. I kind of want to talk about um, Gerard and a little bit Chris. Whatever sense of like diplomacy or like dignity either of them ever had in their life previous to like the the one in meeting Scott McCall, they've both so clearly lost it. And I actually find it sort of um, even pathetic that Chris asks him to consider the code. Oh, I thought that was ridiculous. One, because it's just like the code's more like guidelines. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes, I Parlay. Um, but we know, like Gerard has demonstrated over and over and over again um, from the moment he showed up mm-hmm. that he does not care about the code. And also, didn't he and Allison make their own new code? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's trying to appeal to, like, the rules that he... What is interesting to me is that Chris is trying to appeal to the rules that he thought he was following that made him not one of the bad ones. I think it's part of the way that Chris compartmentalizes his previous life. Sure. But the idea that he that he did not see Gerard and Kate reject the code, rejection, so severely in these leading months, it's, it's, such a, it's so desperate. It's so desperate. I don't think anyone's really playing to their highest intelligence in this in this particular episode, except for maybe the like, baby pack, and we'll get to them. Um, but right now, it's really interesting. He brings up that like Gerard feels like Scott is the reason why he doesn't have a family anymore, as if Gerard isn't the one who rejected his family and like rejected any part of himself that could have maintained having them. Yeah, it. Chris is very contradictory, even within this episode, demonstrating his understanding of what's going on with Gerard. And I think if we had a better understanding of their relationship in Chris's early life, Argent prequel, um, we might understand a little bit more why that's the route that he wants to take because he has so very clearly drawn the line in the sand of he is on Scott's side. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't believe in what Gerard does. And like, weirdly enough, I mean, you were saying that it's pathetic. Like, I think that part of it is 
Chris doesn't have any family left either. It must be so hard to come to grips with the fact that Gerard is the only one left. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think that, you know, when I say pathetic, I don't actually think that's a bad thing. I think it's a really interesting thing to dissect the weaknesses that Chris has, especially since we are so rarely exposed to them. But it does feel (laughs) like Chris is being like, there might still be a part of you that makes it so I have a family as well. Yeah, I think he he wants there to be. Yeah. Which doesn't totally seem in character from him. Yeah. From my perspective. Um whereas Gerard behaves exactly as you expect him to. Yeah. Like I, you know, it's funny because I think that we are going to talk about how we don't think that this season quite is built. I don't think the the realities of this season is built in the realities of the other seasons, but like Gerard has always been genocidal he has never taken anything to heart that isn't just we kill these people yeah yeah um and that seems to come as like a surprise to chris yeah so for why i don't know but it really does feel like at the end and maybe there was a little bit 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 of this at the end of season five but at the end of this episode chris and gerard make their final rejections towards each other there's no more reasoning they have nothing tying them anymore and it, I wish it had come sooner because it's frustrating me that's happening this early. You know, because he doesn't actually always end up being all that useful when he needs to be useful, Gerard. <laughs> that's I mean. true. Um, but it, it's it just sort of makes you think, like, God, Chris is so much, like, weaker than you'd ever sort of imagine him to be. Um, yeah. And, well, what... Again, like, I just don't think it makes sense within his character arc because... Previously to this, we have seen him be really dedicated to the idea of finding and killing his sister, who he loves. And we see that and we know that. But I don't get any kind of sense of how he feels familiarly towards Gerard. I don't even necessarily think that he has to feel that strongly towards Gerard. It is just the absence of literally anybody else he feels familiarly towards. Like, that guy did raise him. I guess. I guess. I think it's. I think you're right. I think it's weak. Right, like in the sort of story sense, not just necessarily Chris being like a weakling in this. Um, it just feels like everybody is kind of, well, not everybody, but a lot of people are backsliding on their character development. I agree. And it, and when he approaches your art, it's a little bit less like, can you still be good? It's more like, don't reject me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's personal. Like me, dad, I'm asking you for something. Yeah. Yeah. weird yeah it's I mean you know maybe that maybe we were missing the dynamic in previous seasons so it's interesting that the question's being asked I just wish it wasn't being asked now and I think that that like well I want to talk about Monroe and I think I want to talk about a greater problem that this season has one go for it is that this season you are setting up a reality in this season that has not been investigated in any other season previous. So if we're meant to believe that like the Anukate um, exacerbates fear, we need to see the fear there from the get-go and not just in the hunters that we haven't seen since season four. Yeah. Um, It is so hard to go for six seasons without ever touching on the reality of what it must be like for your everyday person to live in Beacon Hills. And then all of a sudden they are now the problem. Yeah. 
And it's not like this is a new problem to have in media. Pretty much every superhero story, every story about the supernatural, this gets brought up in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And I understand. I understand that Teen Wolf was trying to comment on the what it felt like to exist like as a cognizant person politically in 2017 but imposing the realities of a world that you have actually refused to engage in from the get-go does not a good story make it's also so like inherently dystopian in nature but everything in in beacon hills is so like rooted in the real world a real world that has like supernatural in it but it's not like there's been a collapse of any kind of systems like it's just there's nothing the fbi stopped showing up where the hell are they where are they where were they during all of season five well i actually think this comes back to the larger problem of the failures of season five where we literally at no point got an understanding of what the beast was like why was the beast such a big deal yeah we we saw piles of bodies and that is horrific but because there was no follow-up to that like no sirens no police tape no like you know news casts that are like 21 people found dead in a sewer how how horrible is that do you know what i think is a weirdly good example of how that can happen Hmm. um is in eclipse when the new baby vampires keep killing everybody in port angeles and like there's a massive like manhunt for what's doing it because so many people are dying oh yeah and it's like a really big issue in like the society of like the greater forks area where the hell is that how does twilight keep coming out on top i don't know (laughs) i don't know either But like it doesn't take a lot to consider the fact that your actions have repercussions but because we have yet to see any repercussions i am not particularly interested in them making them up now and if i want to get specific about this because and we talked about this in season one about how when they decided that there was going to be no racism and no homophobia in beacon hills it really felt like a great place to be but now if you're if you're entering into a concept of supremacy to base your villainy on which can be interesting but you have never brought in any real world repercussions of that it is completely hollow to be like well everybody hates you because you're a werewolf not because you're insert like oppressed person here it is incredibly unearned it's shallow and as it is so out of the realm of reality that i think it drags you out and when that brings me into our conversation about monroe i think it's incredibly like distasteful to have your figurehead of a hate movement which you have brought out of nowhere be a black woman and uh, i mean (laughs) Everything about the way that she interacts with all of these characters, the way that she seemed to like relish stabbing Brett to death, the way that she's talking to Liam in the guidance office, the like cocky way that she's talking to Scott, like she is so convinced that she is right and good and uh, she's really enjoying murdering people. Like it is so uncomfortable to watch because she's supposed to be a real person. Or she's also supposed to be like, I think, you know, Gerard calls her like a, a mouthpiece or whatever for Beacon Hills, but she's not. She's a sociopath. Mm-hmm. She is enjoying murdering people. She's a serial killer. Yeah. And if you want to have just somebody, I actually think if you wanted to have a serial killer be like the leader of the fucking, you know, uh, 
anti-werewolf brigade and they're posing as somebody who agrees with them to accomplish ultimately like evil for like self um you know gratuitous reasons okay could have been that i mean that's kind of what they tried to do with douglas in the wild hunt yeah um and it's kind of what they try to do with gerard but even then he has like this agenda but when i think about monroe and i think about the greater like sort of um Beacon Hills as a whole against the supernatural in this season, not enough has been developed to tell us why they feel these things. They were not previously humanized. We didn't watch them get radicalized. We're seeing like random back clips of it, of this one really horrific experience she has, which is totally horrific, but it's not like that would be like, well, immediately I have to kill supernatural people. Generally, when people experience things that they decide are supernatural, they sit there trying to prove whether or not the supernatural exists. She also brings up the fact that she sees Scott and Parrish there trying to fight the beast. And her main gripe with them is that they didn't stop to check if everybody was okay. Again, every argument being made is so incredibly hollow. Yeah, it... And I feel bad that we're talking about this in an episode written by friend of the podcast, Will, Will Wallace, which again, I think, and we're going to get to the parts that I really liked about it, has a lot of merit as an episode of Teen Wolf, but right now, this episode is the fulcrum in which this season falls apart. Yeah. I mean, and we've been watching it happen in slow motion up to now. Um, and I know, like, somebody was telling us, like, oh, you get a backstory from Monroe, but I don't actually think that it helps. No. I, I agree. Um, it makes me more frustrated and it doesn't justify using her in that way. I mean, it feels so convenient and like there was no thought putting put into it um, at all. Yeah. And I just really, I think it does a disservice to that actor. I think it does a disservice to the story. She's good. And I can mm-hmm. see that she's having fun playing this role, but yeah. it's fun to play villains. So I really don't want to, you know, poo-poo on the work that she does and, like, the life she brings to this character. It is completely, I actually think, like, reckless storytelling. Oh, no, not at all. My point in bringing her up is that I just think that's a really, like, odd place to be in. And, like, the the whole structure of the story that she's in that position is, like, we could have thought about it for, hmm, a little bit longer well i also think deciding that all of the people who are on the opposite side are immediately hateable is oh, n- incredibly boring and alienates your audience because i want to believe that these were people first nobody is empathetic um no, i mean but like <laughs> even like when we get a backstory for Ducalian, yeah when we get a backstory for jennifer i don't like jennifer but like when we get a backstory for her you're like i totally understand why she does all of this stuff yeah and you have empathy for her because she's like a person and really we're just meant to see monroe not really even as a person but as a victim yeah <laughs> and this happens like we only we knew we basically only assume that people are suffering the consequences of the supernatural and the big and beacon hills because we never see it so because we never see it we're just left to be like okay well i'm sure bad stuff is happening and they have to deal with it in whatever way they're dealing with it um the writers never had to address it they, they never had to address it and frankly yeah you never had to address it I, it it you tried to shove this in at like the last season and it's it didn't work I have, I mean, and I, I think we said this last time that if they wanted to do this kind of storyline, it would have fit well after four. Yep. Um, and I don't think, 
unfortunately, because this is a direct reaction to what was literally happening in the country where we live and Teen Wolf was being made, um, they wouldn't have thought to do that in season four. And that's why it feels so shoehorned because they were like capitalizing on the anxiety and fear that like people were feeling and wanting to be able to tap into that and doing it really unsuccessfully. In a reductive way. Yeah. Yeah. And when I say like, I want to see these people humanized, it's not because I want to sympathize with them. It's because I want to see the trajectory of how, like how they became evil. Which is where you get your lessons, understanding how radicalization happens. And we've seen it happen before successfully on Teen Wolf because we watched it happen to Allison and they couldn't recreate it and they definitely couldn't recreate it on a a mass scale. Well, yeah, because Allison is like one person working. We sat with and had feelings for and that's why it was a successful storyline. And you hate Allison when she's shooting the arrows into Scott. But you get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah? I think we can move on. I'm sure that will come back up. Yeah. I didn't mean that to be like our huge conversation for the episode it had to it just had to happen and this was the episode where it is most obvious when we talk about Monroe and we talk about the theme of rejection um I think what we're seeing right now is what is that when we get Monroe's backstory she rejects whatever life she would have had previous Mm. and um decides to take on this new responsibility yes and I think that she thinks it as sort of like a sort of sacred right that she is you know being the 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 revenger of <laughs> revengers everybody in the show is so self-righteous yeah um it but what i mean to say is that like we we see her as somebody who is a guidance counselor who like cares about her job we didn't ever meet her previous and that's another flaw of this season but she is somebody who is like what we, we would maybe say is like an altruist like her mm. job is to like guide and like be you know, somebody who only pushes people to be their best and has now decided that she is taking on this, like, violent, outrageous task. And I think that we see, like, that one moment of her being attacked by the Beast is her moment of rejection towards her entire life philosophy previous. Mm Mm-hmm. I wish it was executed better. (laughs) I can't, you know... That's, I think it's interesting that you are that people do turn like that. I think that is often a villain or origin story. Oh, it's not uncommon. No, it just didn't. It doesn't work within the context of the show. No. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> and also her conversation with Liam affirms that rejection, and her conversation with Lydia. Yeah. Um, she rejects any idea to it's funny she rejects the idea of change at this point even though her entire function in people's lives up into her incident with the beast was guiding change yeah or even like mediating between people I mean that's not what guidance counselors do but that's clearly what she does okay she's a school social worker I guess because she's not a guidance counselor no people do but you know clearly like that is uh, in her her work DNA is that she like mediates between people and now has no interest in doing that. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Let's talk about Liam because I think that Liam's plotline is the shining star of this episode. Oh, I think it is great and such an incredible progression for all of the characters that we've said who are kind of regressing on their development. This is like Liam has worked so incredibly hard to be able to control himself in the way that he has to do in this episode. Yep. And it is incredible. Yeah. To watch. Yes. Um, And I think it is really 
This is going to sound interesting. This is the first episode where I feel like I've really watched Corey support Liam. Mm-hmm. He's the one who tells him that the lacrosse team is planning on blockading him into the school so that they can get him to change. He is the one who, I thought the scene where he turns Liam invisible and they're trying to like walk through the hallway. Why would you walk through the middle, by the way? Walk in the sides, <laughs> you'll be fine. Or just, why did they have to walk all three of them to, because Mason had to guide. I yeah. I guess, but it's like I mean, Corey can see where he's going. Yeah, but Mason had to stand in front of them so nobody would just run into what they thought was blank space. I guess. Yeah. Um, I no, I thought was, it was so sweet. Yeah, I thought that that was really interesting, and I think what really touched me in this episode is that no matter how much Mason and Corey wanted to support Liam he had to face rejection entirely alone yeah Mason speculates that he kind of wanted to or felt that he deserved it um I thought that was bullshit uh, yeah I know I know you do but um it also I mean it's it's something that he can't avoid um he has to face the rejection of um you know, they're going to vote him off as captain of the lacrosse team, which is kind of the only normal sanctuary he has left in his life. Yeah. It is a rejection of his personhood. Mm -hmm. We see that when nobody wants to be his lab partner. We see that when the bio teacher lets Gabe and Nolan beat the living daylights out of him. I will say this is the first time in a long fucking time where the wounds of a fight have been like Um, evocative of like, actual damage because he can't let himself heal Mm-hmm. oh yeah he's limping he can't get up he's covered in blood it feels very impactful it feels um so it actually feels like the most human thing that happens in this episode and it's because liam has to reject the part of himself that would make him inhuman for the sake of his own safety which is honestly what he was trying to do when he first became a werewolf he yeah. wanted no part of that he wanted to reject being a part of Scott's pack, he wanted to reject having been changed into a supernatural creature. And now that he is finally um, really taken on that responsibility and like feeling really good about it, having survived all of this stuff, um, to have to deny it and reject it again to save his own life, really. Yeah. Um, is tremendously emotionally affecting. Yeah. And I think, we, you know, that scene is. There's no way to do this where you couldn't have the scene be intercut because you need to set it up so you want to know what's happening to Liam. Yeah. But, like, I literally couldn't have cared less what was happening in those tunnels. I had, <laughs> I could, I don't care that the Anukate is there. Like, oh, flame retardant shorts. Ha ha. Hi, Ryan Kelly. Hi, Ryan Kelly. Hi. Hi. Um, I do feel like um, 70% of the last two episodes have occurred inside the tunnels. So when we're in the school, I'm like, excellent. Daylight. Cool. Daytime. Yeah. But it is it sets you so much like that was a part I thought was so affecting. I thought that was a, a really, entry, a really good choice. It sets you so on edge to be like, nope, go back to Liam. Cause I need to see what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I, I, uh, it's, it reminded me of a couple like other sort of, um, school fights that happen like that. But I, I feel like I can't, um, quite put my finger on which one it's calling me to in another, maybe, maybe it's not a teen show. <laughs> maybe I'm thinking about something way darker. Um, well, I do think it's like a relatively um, well-used trope mm-hmm. in a lot of TV shows where somebody just really gets the stuff and pounded out of them. Yeah. Um, supernatural or not, um, as like 
repercussions for not something that they did like maliciously, but something that had like a huge impact on another character or the plot. Um, There's a scene in this might be in the sequel to Beartown, but it might be in Beartown. And I guess you can tell me. I do not remember where. Okay, then it might be the sequel (laughs) where the little brother of like the main girl gets like this shit kicked out of him by like an old like like an upperclassman Mm. and the chapter just ends with and he just kept kicking and then you're like trying to find out when you get to the next chapter that he's in because you're like is he okay yeah and that's how it felt watching it because you're like oh my god go back to Liam I need to know because you care so much in that moment he is sacrificing so much and rejecting so much of himself and having to push so many of his like fundamental occurrences as a person as somebody who has anger problems as somebody who is impulsive and like wanting to do the right thing and he has to ignore all of them and it is incredibly effective i thought that was the best part of the episode i think will every once in a while comes out and just like nails us with something super emo like he does the uh with your dead wife and your loser son mm-hmm. oh killing yeah it, well killing it um feelings and, uh as an elder emo uh, it gets gets us it gets us yeah um yeah i i loved that i loved even seeing like the transition of liam from the very beginning of this episode when he's talking to the kids in the lacrosse room and he's like oh you think you can take me and then when they're beating the shit out of them they're like well we know you can take us and he's like no yeah like i'm i'm just not gonna do it yeah and he keeps um it's a really small moment i wish they had done it a little like maybe once or twice more um but him repeating his anchor his mantra as like kind of a nod to brett almost yeah um yeah that felt like a sort of eulogy a little bit the closest teen wolf gets because we don't engage with grief in any intelligent way which is which is why we're sitting here being like (laughs) where did all this come from you have literally never talked about this concept before that is but that's also why like yes is scott acting like a weird robot at the beginning yes but did we ever genuinely get to see him grieve allison no no you're right um let's wrap it up do you want to do q's and o's let's let's do it do you have any questions i no no i do not at all girl (laughs) tell me your observations um okay i know it's just the fear i know it's the anugate but i do think that the teens if they found out that there were supernaturals be like that's fucking cool as shit there are werewolves yeah that certainly would have been my reaction oh my god well especially because we grew up in the twilight era they were like That's everybody true. we knew was like i want to be a vampire i want to be a vampire so fucking bad that is very true um okay there is a moment when gerard is like scott you should control your beta and i'm like he literally just said control your woman i know about malia which and I was like, like brand for par for the course par for the course um it tracks but like babe okay. um i some there were some parts of this episode where I felt like the tone was really off and part of that was like the Liam just has to go to school um the whole thing with Scott and even like at the beginning of a bunch of the school scenes I was like this feels tonally weird really weird I don't know what that's about um yeah I, I wrote a lot about like Teen Wolf grief problems and how flimsy the backstory is um and <laughs> Why would why would Gerard care about the code? Malia is right. They should kill him. Yeah. I cannot believe that nobody else brings that up as an option. I can't believe... No, why has Peter not killed Gerard? Why on earth did they not have Peter kill Gerard? Yeah, where is he? I miss him and I love him. Yeah. I get that he couldn't kill him in season five because I, at that point Peter was in the hunt. But like... 
but mm, okay also he goes back and he kills jennifer he kills some of the, he's got some of the best deaths he kills kate the first time it's great he do, he should have killed Gerard. he should have killed Gerard. um okay and one of the things that i really liked about this episode was the fact that the girl who gets shot by the deputy shows up again at the end and she is alive mm-hmm. and i liked that continuity what happened to Theo? I could look it up. I just don't know what happened in this, in this season. No, he's just not in these episodes. I know he's alive. He, yeah, he could easily be somewhere. No, but the last time we, we saw, saw him, him, he was being yeah, shot up shot in his, his car. Like, full firing squad, yeah. Which was like two episodes ago. Which is a long enough time where you sort of forget that it happens and you're not really worried about it anymore. But this girl showing back up at the end was really smart. It was. Um, I think the fact that um, the Argents just have like magic infinity bunkers down in the tunnels what is the so hell? funny. <laughs> it's also like the Hales have a vault under the school. So like, do they have tunnel systems that have been like interconnecting and they've been like scooping we do hallway chasing for like the last 20 years um i'm gonna accept that as a headcanon um cool although i don't know what was submitted for acceptance accepted accepted headcanon it's canon it's no longer head stamp um yeah those were my we already talked about how fantastic holland roden looked in this she looked beautiful i mean like Um, holland roden is a beautiful girl obviously but sometimes like they just do like they really nail it. Well, yeah. Sometimes they just really nail it. And sometimes I'm like, why aren't you guys always making her look this good? She literally steals this, this show when she's on screen. She's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, we didn't really talk about Melissa because we didn't really have to. Um, but I really loved her just immediate rejection of Chris being like, I have never told Scott to run and hide. What makes you think I'm going to do it now? You yes. dumb man. Dummy. Yeah, yeah. Those are my observations. Um... Uh, I loved the, like, idiot moment, even though the scene was so incongruous to the rest of the episode. I actually have two comments on this scene. And the scene <laughs> at the beginning of the episode that has nothing to do with the rest of the episode where Scott is pulling Liam out of bed. When he's like, you have to take, you know, when you, when you, you know, your glasses fall off and everyone sees your Superman, you still have to put them back on and say you're Clark Kent. And Liam's like, you want me to wear glasses? And I was like, you guys are so dumb. I think you mean bestiality. I, legit. <laughs> Scott attracts dummies in the best way. Um, But also, their conversation about superheroes kind of pissed me off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Because there are moments, obviously very famous moments, where people's identity gets exposed in bad ways. Mm -hmm. And when they get exposed in a bad way, they have to, like, go underground. It's when it's, like... It's when it's like, it's okay, we won't tell anybody, Mr. Spider-Man, that you go to school. But, like, they're literally, literally at one point in the comics, like, when Bucky is Captain America, he gets some really bad press, and they're like, you cannot be Captain America anymore. <laughs> like I mean, frames him for something. I don't know why they would make... But that's a lot, of, a lot of the reasons why superheroes have alternate identities is because they get exposed. My point here is that it is great that they are finally acknowledging the fact that I think that Teen Wolf is a superhero story. I've been saying it since day one. You of really have. Teen Wolf, Free Wolf. They even bring up some of the heroes that I mentioned. I don't really talk about Superman that often. Maybe I should. No, because you think Scott's Spider-Man. I do think he's Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, but I was just kind of like, you're... <laughs> if you're going to bring this up, you, somebody should be like, but he had to go into hiding when that happened. <laughs> I just felt like the metaphor was like, yes, they are superheroes, but no, Liam should not have gone to school that day. Obviously, we get that proved to us. But like, again, it shows to me that Scott is literally not fucking paying attention to the world around him. Oh, my God. No, thank ever. No observation. No, no observation skills. Apparently, they all went away. Um, 
my oh the scalia is like you're trying really hard i know you had to throw it in in one season but stop being like i don't know what you're talking about stop i don't know i know i know they're both awkward i know that malia has no emotional um like capabilities of dealing with stuff like that but one of them needs to just be like hey it's okay and i think it should be scott i think it's weird that scott's being like I don't even really about, cagey I don't about, about it. About, yeah. Well, you did bring up the bro code, and that is his best friend. But he does not bring up styles at any point <laughs> ever. And that's why it's like, yeah. I actually think that scene would have been more effective if they hadn't really said anything at all, and they had shared kind of like a tense moment after she was like, "I don't think you should go because that's stupid." Or if they hugged, and then it was like a little, ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't need to say anything. <laughs> Like, wait a minute enjoy the silence <laughs> um those are the end of my observations I, I feel like i gotta apologize for this being such a bummer of an episode but it's good we got these feelings out now so um, we can make them short comments later yeah. they will be long comments do you want to hear us with our pack stats yeah uh, minimal again um we had five eyes okay a good parish eye actually i like i like it when he shows up i've kind of missed him i really miss parish um he really has it to get... He and the sheriff are the only people who are like, hmm, something supernatural is happening yeah, here. There's evil afoot. <laughs> um, no claws, no shirts. I mean, perish, but like the shorts, I think, just negate the whole shirt count. They're so long. <laughs> so long. Um, we had... We need that five-inch inseam, baby. <laughs> booty shorts. Booty shorts. Little boxer briefs. Like, I'm talking about like the the dolphin cut like hot pants okay that's what i want to see all right yeah yeah get ryan kelly on the phone ryan (laughs) well first of all hi how are thanks for listening thank you um yeah we had two ads we had toyota and um i don't think this counts an ad but coach was wearing nike shoes and i was happy he was in this episode yeah so uh alpha of the week going to coach yeah i really think that like showing that like coach really is there for his boys and has like these protective feelings over liam and is also immune to fear probably because he's crazy he is crazy but like that he has the sense of like because coach is sort of perceived as like an inhuman person but has like a deep enough humanity to watch a high schooler getting the shit kicked out of them and being like what the fuck is wrong with you animals oh yeah uh, also, his whole bit of being like, oh, Nolan, what a great choice. Which one of you is Nolan? Yes. <laughs> With the captain. Oh, oh, it's like a callback to Belinsky. Bring on the laughs. Yeah. I would like to laugh while watching I'm Teen Wolf. I'm assuming your alpha is, well, it's Liam, but it's also Coach. It's, yeah. I'm going to give him a, a double. I'm going to break the crown. Yeah. In half. I'm, I'm going to break the crown into like three fourths and a fourth like a fourth goes to coach and like three fourths go to Liam yeah because he did the damn thing he really did um I think that about wraps it up if you enjoyed this episode thank you yeah <laughs> congrats you made ups. it through uh and you can follow us on twitter at teen wolf underscore real which is also our instagram handle you can follow us on tumblr at teen wolf real and our instagram is teen wolf real no you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf. Our Facebook group is Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast. Our Tumblr is Teen Wolf Rewolf. If you really like this episode, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, it, it helps us find new people who want to listen and talk about Teen Wolf. If you really, really like this episode, you can follow us. No, you can buy us a coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf. Um, or you can buy one of our stickers on Redbubble. That was the worst I have ever done the outro. And without further ado, I have been Christian. I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, Uh, Woo!